My guest today is an acclaimed and award-winning filmmaker who, with a scholarly background in psychology, as well as background in documentary filmmaking, has created some of the most interesting perceptive work of the emotional and sex uh, sexual intimacy of queer male life. Starting with his ongoing series, In the Room, which studies gay men and their everyday relationships to their bedrooms. Last year's stunning feature, I Want Your Love, he's a unique and greatly needed voice in queer cinema. His most recent, Interior Leather Bar, is a directing collaboration with James Franco, where they make a film about the making of, a of the reconstruction of the infamous 40 minutes cut from the infamous William Friedkin and Al Pacino film, Cruising, that goes in very interesting and unexpected places. Welcome, Travis Matthews. Thanks for having me. What a what a beautiful intro. <laughs> well, I think it's deserved. Um, uh, so, you know, opening question: like, what for you was the genesis of this project? Um, I mean, really, it 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 came from James in terms of contacting me and bringing me on board to collaborate. I wasn't. I wasn't like sitting in my room trying to think of a way to revisit cruising. <laughs> um, you know, I was do I was kind of at the peak of the festival circuit with "I Want Your Love," and this was this was in like June, July of well, it was June of um, 2012, and James, whom I did not know, was it kind of at the same time also interested in revisiting cruising in some capacity. He didn't want to remake it, but he knew he wanted to do something with it as a touchstone to a more like art film project. And he also knew that he wanted there to be unsimulated gay sex in it. So the way he described it is um, he knew that you know he had never filmed like real sex before, and so he wanted to bring somebody in to help him with that process. So I was contacted through email, through one of his people, and then like the next day he and I were on the phone. And um, we talked for a really long time. I had, I mean, I knew I had 12 hours from the email until like when I was basically talking to him. And all that I knew was basically what I just told you, revisiting cruising in some way and um, unsimulated gay sex. I had a ton of questions for him. And a lot of them were questions that I knew other people were going to have about both of us, but most specifically him because of his star power, about why he was touching this movie, who he thinks he is <laughs> as a straight man to have any sort of commentary. And like there were like a series of questions that I knew if we were going to work together, we needed to address up front and somehow incorporate into the film whatever it was going to be. I mean, at the time, we had like no idea what it was going to be. Right. Um, but I knew these things needed to be addressed if we were going to touch cruising because I'd seen cruising and I was well aware of its history and its controversy, which is unlike any of the other gay-themed projects that he had done where, um, I mean, the way I look at it is like all of the other projects, whether he was in front of or behind the camera, are kind of like lifting up these gay luminaries that have contributed either to, to gay culture or to wider, like, just culture in general. And this was going to be a different thing because people still have really strong feelings about cruising and the representation there. So we talked on the phone and almost immediately we're on the same page and like we were just like, I think there's like a similar kind of NorCal, like like kind of like pseudo hippie sensibility, like laid back <laughs> kind of thing yeah. between us. 
I live in San Francisco. I've been there for almost 15 years, and he's from Palo Alto. Oh, so nice. like, it, like, there was just sort of like a pretty quick familiarity. Um, I mean, originally he wanted to bring me on just to help him with the sex scenes, but then over the course of this conversation, it became very much a collaborative process. And, you know, we spent a weekend, this was like a Friday, and then we were like, okay, let's take the weekend and just like think about some stuff and then get back together on Monday or whatever and Mm -hmm. see what we think. And the thing that was most fascinating to both of us was was about these 40 minutes that had been cut from cruising that had never been screened publicly and were rumored to have been destroyed. So, you know, we knew we weren't necessarily going to create a full 40 minutes that would, like, like we weren't going to be able to fool people to yeah. think that it was, like, these are our 40 minutes cut from, like, a 1979 film. We didn't have the time. We didn't have the budget. I mean, we had four weeks from that first phone call until we went into production. And... And that also just didn't seem as interesting to me. I think it could have been like titillating Mm -hmm. and like I'm sure that we could have woven in something really interesting if we did just do the 40 minutes. But the more we talked about it, it seemed like the best way to address things that we wanted to address um, was to make this as much, if not more, about the making of Mm -hmm. this movie. Yeah. So once we decided that from that moment forward, everything was recorded. And, like, the first scene in the movie um, where we're in a hotel and we're, we're discussing this, and then Val, who plays the lead, comes in and just sits down, and I'm talking to him about it. Like, all of that's, I mean, totally unscripted, and that's the first time that I actually met both of them. <laughs> so when I went to that hotel room to meet James, he was sitting in the middle of the room getting his hair trimmed for Oz reshoots <laughs> and watching cruising. That and was one were, of my favorite moments. And there were <laughs> and there were three cameras on me when yeah. I walked into the <laughs> room. And I remember he like leaned over and gave me his sort of signature like James Franco smile. Yeah. And he was he was like he was like, You started this because I think like I mean, I, 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 I get a little bit lost with, like, who started what, but I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was, like, my sort of idea for us to, like, jump mm-hmm. into the yeah. production piece. So, I was, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I signed up for it, so yeah. that's how that started. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, too, because it's, like, it must have been a really interesting, even though, like, obviously you guys have agreed to it. Walking into a hotel room at the Chateau Marmont, yeah. like <laughs> I didn't say that because I think it's <laughs> some pretentious. Oh really? Tour. Well, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. That's where it was. Right. Well, I mean, as someone who's LA based, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You know, infamous. Right. It's like, oh right. I'm sure Lindsay Lohan was racing around in a, a room next door. Right. Right. It's just like wow. <laughs> yeah. It must have been a surreal. I mean, which fits with the film, with the whole surreal aspect of it, like. Yeah. So, like, for you, when you were starting the process of it, and obviously, like, that was unscripted, and there were very many other things that were unscripted, but, like, you even admit in places that you've talked about this film that there are, like, you know, obviously certain things that you guys constructed or scripted, like, sure. and you even see that in, you know, that meta thing in the film where yeah. it's, like, he's reading the script and then you cut, yeah. you know, kind of things. Um, like, what... If at all, did that just kind of come organically, or did you have, like, certain, like, Films that were like placeholders that you were thinking about when you were, you know, making. Um, I didn't have films as placeholders. I wanted. I mean, what I knew, what I wanted for sure was to make this not all about James, but for it to be more about Val's 
journey over the course of a day, and Val, who, who plays like a loose version of the Pacino character from Cruising, because, you know, similar to Cruising, Val, or similar to Pacino, Val is, is being dropped into this subculture that he's not at all familiar with and not completely comfortable with, and he needs to have, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's like a long day of filming, so it's not like by the end of the day he's like a changed person, mm -hmm. but he's definitely like, there's like processing of right. something that is like sitting with him at the end of the film. So we knew that we wanted to have an arc that was Val's arc, and we knew that there were certain pivotal scenes that had to be in there mm -hmm. to make sure that happened, but beyond that, um, maybe because we had cameras constantly filming, we knew that there were going to be organic moments that were going to pop up. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things, conversations, and mostly conversations that we all knew were needed to happen that we kind of suspended for the cameras mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. So um, one, of, one of the scenes that didn't make it into the film is between... Brendan and I, and Brendan, who is in the I Want Your Love short that mm -hmm. I did yeah. a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. And, you know, Brendan had his own reservations, which he kind of, he mentioned in, like, one of the last scenes in the film about, like, he had talked to his mom, she didn't want him to do this, mm -hmm. he was worried about his career. But there's a scene that didn't make it into it where he and I have, like, a, and this is also weird, because we have, like, a really, we had a very honest conversation about what it means for us to work together again and like the risk that he's taking and being part of this. Right. And we knew we were going to have that and he knew he was going to be part of it, but he wanted to really express his reservations. So that was something that we were like, let's, let's not say anymore. Let's wait until we're on set and just like, let it be part of what's filmed. Again, that's a scene that didn't, didn't make it into the film, mm -hmm. but it's an example of a lot of things where, we had a rough idea of something that was going to be addressed that we knew just like the, the most basic parameters of so it would feel honest and spontaneous when mm -hmm. we actually filmed it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious too, uh, you know, both this and I Want Your Love have a, like, that, that, that kind of like short feature status, you know, they're like under the 90 minute this and the other. Now, is that just something that just came forth in both those productions or is there something like about that kind of length or period that like really you're really interested in no i mean it's nothing strategic or deliberate it's more like that's how long those movies needed to be. right yeah. you know i i i could and i know some filmmakers do for both of them i could have made them 90 minute films mm -hmm. but they would they would have suffered yeah they're both it. really self-contained like yeah. you know I, I i really that's i mean the thing it's like i mean especially interior leather bar with the title cards and both it feels like very just like the form just was like oh yeah this is exactly mm -hmm, the length mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it needs to be i mean i did a, the rough cut i rough cut i first did was was almost 90 minutes mm -hmm. and everybody i talked to and even myself i was like that that doesn't need to be in here that doesn't need to be in here that needs to be shortened and so, you know, it becomes problematic for sales, for mm -hmm. sure. Oh, yeah. And it becomes pro problematic for theatrical. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, that's how long that movie needed to be. Yeah. I mean, with my next feature I do, I'm definitely going to make sure that it's, it's 
longer, that mm-hmm. it's at least 80 minutes, but right. hopefully at least 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I'm in a lot of ways really new to all this, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I'm still sorting things out. Like, right. it's, it's all still... Yeah, I mean, you're coming into your own. You're figuring it out. You're step-by-step step each film, you know, learning. I yeah. mean, every filmmaker does that. You know, Martin Scorsese is close to... Is 80 soon, and you know he's right. learning. You know, right. right? So yeah, totally. I mean, this whole this whole thing of being at Sundance and then us going to Berlin, and and like, of course, like the first like couple of days I was here with James and mm. doing, we did 12 hours of press oh between Saturday and Sunday, <gasps> and you know I, I was surprised at how much I kind of rolled with it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily crazy making. I mean, yeah. it was a little crazy making. Yeah. But to be in that vortex where, mm-hmm. like, you have to walk through a kitchen to get out of a restaurant because <laughs> there's, like, people outside that are going to yeah. mob you. That's weird. Yeah, I'm sure. It's weird. And um, one of the great things about being in that storm with him is, you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting that, like, that, that I would even have, like, the opportunity to be, like, as crazy famous as he is. Mm-hmm. But one thing about that made me clear that or was made it clear to me that um, I don't want that. Like, yeah. that's something I don't want. Like, I want to make movies and do, like, press when right. I need to, but, like, I don't want to be around all that. It's I, just, like, exhausting yeah. and weird and paranoia-inducing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, I feel no. the same way. Uh, as an yeah. aspiring filmmaker, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I feel a lot more like you. I don't really want to yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fascinating thing about the film is, like, you know, obviously just by the nature of the film, it's just been talked about. Like, I know with, you know, straight or LGBT people that I've talked to just talking about, oh, what are the films you want to see or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, it's been a topic of conversation, obviously. And just, it's so fascinating how it's like this amorphous, like, reflective mirror that like all those conversations that I had I felt like are then like studied and dealt with in the movie and however much of that is like constructed and how much of that is like this naturally happened I feel like that's I mean it's definitely one of the powers of one that it's like it's gonna stick with you whether or not like it people fully connect to every part of it because you know it's like I mean, you have moments in the film where it's like, oh, yeah. And moments in the film, too, where I feel like a lot of our perceptions are like, you know, besides Val, who we know, he talks to his girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. We don't really know other performers, other people involved. Obviously, this is a big question that people are asking. Was James Franco gay? What's up with the, you know, like all of this fascination with this? And then, like, you know, people basically being like, you know, does he have a right to, which I totally had with somebody in a Q&A, or not a Q&A, uh, in line, like, you know, talking about the movie. It's yeah. like, James Franco is not a queer icon, and he's not da 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 uh-huh. And, you know, I, like, was that just, like, a happy accident? What, what was the, what happened? A happy accident, like, basically it being kind of this re- reflective surface of, like, all of the thoughts people are going to not think Not at all, not at all. I mean, like I said, like, in our first conversation, I was, I... Everything that I hear people saying, I said, people are going to say this, yeah. and we need to address it in the film, mm-hmm. and we need to seem smarter than I think people think this project's going to be. Right. And regardless of what we're going to do, people are going to vilify him because of all of... I mean, I feel like for a lot of gay men in particular, I feel like 
this movie is a bit of a tipping point mm. with, with them. I mean, the ones that are criticizing him, feeling like it's a bit of a tipping point with all of the other things that he's done in the last, like, five, ten mm -hmm. years. Yeah. And um, we were very aware of that. And he was very open to going anywhere as long as there was a smart reason behind it. And he, yeah. he knows what's going on. Right. But I feel like... You know, I feel like he's unfairly, like, maligned by yeah. certain people in the press. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, there are a lot of other people that aren't doing things um, to service the gay community that mm -hmm. could be the subject of right. whatever. But, I mean, it's fascinating to me that, yeah, it's just, I'm still kind of processing the ways in which right. people interpret him. Yeah. And his engagement with the yeah. gay community. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, knowing him a little bit, I mean, I, I think, you know, he's both a celebrity, but at the end of the day, I think he identifies as an outsider. Right. And yeah. that's part of the reason why I think he's so drawn to gay culture. Mm -hmm. But also, I think he's had a lot of really wonderful gay filmmakers in his life mm -hmm. that have supported him, helped him. Mm -hmm. and And, you know, he's... He's not, it's not like he's, it's not like he's been living on an island and not been engaged with the gay community, whether mm -hmm. it was in film or otherwise. Right. You know, I mean, he's been in that world and yeah. with people, I mean, like Gus Van Sant and people he's friends with and people that, that have supported him. Mm -hmm. Um. But I do think, I think, I think he, I think he identifies as an outsider. Right. And, you know, there's that tension between here he is, this like, Beautiful man, rich Hollywood, like he has it all, right? Right. Yeah. But within that, the parameters of, of how he's allowed to express himself mm -hmm. as an outsider are yeah. like just not there. Like he's not given that permission. Right. And I mean, I, I don't want to be speaking for him because I don't know this is exactly what right. his deal is. But I mean, that's how I yeah. Make sense well, I mean, I think it's it. also a pure collaboration because I feel like it is in some ways half you and half him, and I feel like. In that, it really feels that way. Like, it's definitely distinctly different from I Want Your Love. You know, yeah. like, it's not fully that world. Yeah. But then I think that actually makes it better because it, once again, then brings up... I mean, I know from other friends who went and saw it, who happened to be straight, like, it stirred up a lot of reaction. Some of it good, some of it negative. Some of it that, like, they appreciated the film, but it was something that really, like, you know, like cause something in them and that they had to like deal with and see this representation, but like having Val Lauren and having James Franco as those through lines as characters in the film, I yeah. think means a lot more than maybe necessarily watching some like really distinctly, you know, queer films that like, you know, that they just like would just kind of recoil to. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, I mean, I think like it works really well as that, you know, like, and yeah, so I hope so. Um, yeah, I, I totally do. Um, I'm curious, like, in your, like, for you, like, what were some of the f queer filmmakers who just really kind of inspired you in the direction that you went, you know? With this particular With film? With this or just in general? I mean, I can, I can, I mean, I can name queer, I mean, filmmakers, I mean, right. you know, like Todd Haynes, of course, and, um... Kurt McDowell is, yeah. is, do you know Kurt McDowell? I don't. I'm, I'm curious. He's, you should look him up. Yeah. Um, he's, 
he's from the 70s, mostly San Francisco filmmaker. Nice. Very much in line with my In Their Room series. Mm. It's amazing. Um, um, you know, more contemporary, Andrew Haig. Like, like yeah. I love Andrew, and I'm excited about what he's doing. Um, John Cameron Mitchell, yeah. obviously. <laughs> sure, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and Gus Van Sant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, I guess kind of obvious sort of mm-hmm. like gay filmmaking icons. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of somebody that is probably a little less known, like Kurt, known, Kurt McDowell would definitely mm-hmm. right. be one. Yeah. And I also... Um, I mean, that's mostly a nerdy question by me that I'm no, just interested in. Yeah, it's, and Radley Metzger, who's not necessarily hmm. a queer filmmaker, but he made a lot of like art sex films in the 70s. Hmm. Um, he did a film called Score, which I totally adore and would love to do a remake of. It's like, it's a true bisexual, smart Ooh, okay. movie nice. that <laughs> is fun and... Somewhere in the future, I think it'd be interesting to do a remake yeah. of that. Um, Nicholas Rogue is really mm. important to me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Look Now is maybe my favorite yeah. film. I love performance. Yeah, so performance. Much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are my peeps. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's good. Like, um, And I'm also curious, like, um, but uh, final question um, for you. Like, why do you think that depictions of, like, you know, like, real sex, along with, you know, like, emotional intimacy and this, that, and the other, why do you think that that, like, I mean, obviously you talked about John Cameron Mitchell and Short Fuzz and, like, talking about your work and stuff like that. Why do you think that, queer or not, that that's such a, like, weirdly, like, not common thing in cinema more? Like, it seems weird that, like, that's not, kind of coming up as much in a lot of cinema. I think it's changing and mm-hmm. I think people are I think people are are sort of like inching toward taking more and more risks and pushing the envelope of mm-hmm. what they're doing with sex and the way in which they're showing it and representing it. For me, I mean the through line with all of my work has has been gay male intimacy and there's different ways of expressing that and talking about that and addressing that that don't always have to do with sex. But the last few years um, a lot of what I've done has dealt with sex. And the more I would film, I mean, and for me, filming sex, it's more about, um, I'm not interested in, in filming sex to get people off necessarily. I understand that maybe that happens sometimes, but for the most part, I'm interested in story development and character development and how that can be expressed through sex. And the more I've been doing this, that in particular, it's become apparent to me that there's like a wealth of untapped stories in, in, in the ways in which we have sex that are, are so rarely ever um, seen in movies. Mm. I mean, there's, we've all had, I mean, all of us who've had sex have had a million different um, like experiences that are unlike anything we've seen in a movie before. That are sometimes funny, sometimes weird, sometimes, sometimes hot. Sometimes, sometimes messy, sometimes like you end up just like laying there and like talking and, mm-hmm. you know, all these different ways that, that is, is interesting to me. And I think really like, you know, like 
literally and figuratively people are stripped of of things and they're and they're laid bare and a lot is present there in sexual situations that you might not be able to convey in a scene that's just dialogue you know and that's interesting to me you know and especially as gay men you know is as humans but as gay men like sexuality is kind of a central part of our lives and like with i want your love like these were guys that i was um where sex was a real like was a huge part of their lives and if i was wanting to do something that felt honest and intimate it didn't make sense for me to shy away from sex mm. which was why that was like largely important to me yeah yeah awesome well thank you so much travis for My talking pleasure. to me